Hi guys, welcome to the Macros Bodybuilding and Powerlifting Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Hall, and again, we have Mike Isretel, who hopefully all of you know oh so well by now, or if you haven't, go back and check all the episodes that he's been on and fired off loads of terrific answers to your questions. And again, we're going to go for a hypertrophy-specific podcast today, primarily because Mike's just very, very good at answering these questions, and he has just said his body wants to grow. So he's obviously just a hypertrophy, um, just draws to him. Uh, And also, I want to make sure that you guys are fully aware of the London conference that is happening on the 27th of May, uh, which is happening really shortly. We still have general ticket sales on sale. Uh, Everyone who has purchased a ticket so far, thank you very much. Um, The seminar is going to be in central London on the 27th of May. Um, So hopefully you guys can make that potentially. Uh, Definitely check out the links below and we'll get a load of information there so you can see exactly what you're in for. It is going to be a seminar all around hypertrophy, which is what we're going to be talking about again today uh, to kind of give you a bit of a teaser and a taster again. So yeah, thank you very much again, Mike, for coming on. I know you've just said you're pretty damn depleted. So if he's looking kind of He's got a bit of diet face going on. Skeletor's kind of come out, I can see. Yeah, it's my last day of the diet uh, before my uh, little test run uh, for just a small local show coming up uh, in a couple days. So I get to carb up tomorrow. So I'm pretty uh, euphoric, but also completely lack of energy. (laughs) And uh, cognitive abilities are significantly downgraded, but we'll uh, try to make something work here. So you shoot up the questions, I'll shoot down the answers. Awesome. Um, yeah, I know exactly how you're feeling at the moment. It's kind of, uh, yeah, when you're on those low carbs and you're pushing training hard, even, I mean, the food will be nice tomorrow. You'll probably still feel pretty, <laughs> pretty rubbish for a few days. But yeah, let's get into these questions. Um, so I thought it would be really, really interesting to hear about exercise selection um, for hypertrophy. I know a lot of your posts and people have seen them on Instagram. Um, and comments made about how some exercises are just more favorable for hypertrophy than others. Um, We all know a good range of exercises is important, but there are some that just don't make much sense, and there are some that make a lot of sense. Uh, I would be interested to hear kind kind of develop this a bit further and talk about maybe different exercises might be more appropriate for certain rep ranges, um, and how that might look. And then we can talk about potentially going to a range of motion, um, how that might come into things, ability to load, um, overlap in terms of different muscles used. So maybe a deadlift uses a lot of muscles. And then maybe even touch on, and this could be quite a a long discussion on machines versus free weights, because um, a lot of people for hypertrophy do favor machines. So I don't know where you want to start with that. I've kind of jumped everywhere. Sure. Well, so uh, that's a very good question. I'll try to hit all the points. And if I, um, you know, I probably will miss something here and there just to guide me back to the stuff I haven't answered. The first thing I'd like to say is that um, there are things way more important than exercise selection to hypertrophy, the uh, application of training in general, the idea that training should be hard, the idea that training should be voluminous, but not too voluminous. Fatigue management, if you're getting all that stuff in, I mean, you're already 90% of the way to good results. Particular exercise selection is a very small consideration, but um, it's a consideration nonetheless. That doesn't mean it's not important. That doesn't mean it shouldn't be considered. But before answering exercise selection and before people, um, uh, as they are very very much, uh, you know, uh, can be doing, quote me on stuff. Um, it's important to keep in mind that if you make all the wrong choices for exercise selection, you're still going to have really good results if you do everything else right. And if you do everything else wrong, all the best exercises in the world will make almost no difference to your physique. So um, we're talking about very big specifics here already, uh, and, and there's just not much... Um, that's going to be affected by it, but there is some, so we'll talk about that. That's the first point. The second point is that um, a lot of the uh, discussions on exercise selection are not really grounded in much direct research. They're grounded in logic that we derive from our understanding of training, and they're grounded oftentimes in experience coaching people and training by yourself. 
So I'll be speaking a lot from those perspectives and not much from a research perspective. If you're an evidence-based coach and you take that extreme too far, which is actually a violation of evidence-based practices laid out by Schoenfeld and Aragon and others saying that you have to com combine evidence for what there is and, and a personal experience, et cetera, for what there isn't. If you're too extreme in the evidence-based uh, sort of perversion, then there's really not much about exercise selection you're going to be able to say uh, at all, especially from a hypertrophy standpoint. There's some stuff for strength a little bit, but um, uh, so a lot of this is going to come from personal experience, experience training, uh, coaching a lot of individuals, observations that I've made, and inferences from my, um, you know, sort of decent body of knowledge on all the background training ideas. So with those two caveats, you know, we can proceed into some general guidelines for what hypertrophy training should look like as far as exercise selection. There's a couple of considerations. Um, some of them apply to almost all exercise selection, and including this one, it is, um, it's almost a, kind of embarrassing to say, but because there's so much gunk out there, people say really ridiculous stuff, I have to make sure to say this. Specificity is king. It comes before overload. So when you want to work on a certain part of your body or a certain muscle group, you had better be picking exercises that actually train that muscle group. It's usually very easy to figure out. Uh, how that's all working, you know, what gets uh, pumped, what can you feel working, what gets sore. Um, some people say soreness has nothing to do with hypertrophy. I think that's nonsense. Uh, I think they have a good point there somewhere that it's not end-all, be-all, but I could expand on that at another time. But I think at the very least, soreness is an indicator that you are stimulating, maybe overstimulating some area. So um, there's a, a very, very big specificity thing to where – uh, why do I mention this? I mention this for two specific reasons. One, individuals will say ridiculous things like squats and milk if you want to grow. You know, what if you want to grow your chest? Well, squats aren't going to grow your chest almost at all. People say squatting is a whole body exercise. No, it's, no, it's fucking not. It's fucking not. I don't know how else to say. Sorry, I'm depleted. Uh, too depleted to get that joke. <laughs> but um, I never got it. It's apparently not a joke to some people. But... Um, you know, you got to train with specific movements to the tasks that you want. So can compounds accomplish most of this? Yeah, but it's not going to be like two or three compounds. It's going to be like five or six of them. Uh, you know, uh, yes, squats are good. Deadlifts are fine. Bench presses of some kind. Barbell pressing is good. You probably also need to have some kind of vertical press, uh, upright row, uh, a curl, a tricep extension of some kind, a pull-up, a row. You can't just do the big three power lifts and grow everything because you'll have pretty small lats and very small arms and no calves at all. So it's uh, one of the situations where specificity is king for that reason because people say ridiculous things in, in an attempt to vastly oversimplify training. I understand the sentiment where they're coming from. Is we just fucking eat a lot of food, taking a lot of calories and do the compound basics. But squats and milk is like it's just some kind of comical like 1950s prescription that can just, we just do better than that, right? So the second reason I mentioned specificity is uh, predominantly because of that muscle activation situation and because people are built differently and their, their, their way of executing exercises, hand grips and foot placements and hip positions is slightly different and the way their own muscle architecture is literally installed. So some people are going to get, uh, some muscles worked more than others on some exercises. Others will get other muscles work more than others. And at the end of the line, it's up to the individual to make sure that they're selecting exercises which hit the muscles that they want. It should be a perceptible thing. It should uh, generate soreness. It should generate a pump. It should generate um, some pain in the local musculature. It, uh, for more advanced trainees, you should be able to feel that muscle actually working. Um, if it's not happening for you, if you're a beginner, you can do just compound basics without feeling much of anything. Don't worry about it. It's still going to grow. If you're beginning to be intermediate, three plus years of training into advanced, six to 10 years of training, you had better know what hits what. Um, some exercises just don't really do it for some people, uh, like they're supposed to. And some exercises do things for people that they're not really supposed to, but they can, you know, do great, uh, do them with great effect. Um, you know, for example, from what I understand, some bodybuilders, John Meadows in particular, you know, they don't really get a lot out of barbell bent rows. They just don't feel the exercise is activating much of their lats whatsoever. It's a fine exercise, but it just doesn't do it for them. 
And uh, John actually, you know, sort of invented an exercise called the meadow row, right, where you grab the end of the barbell, and he loves it, and, 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 and I think that's great. I think a lot of people are in his shoes where they feel that kind of rowing much more. Um, there's other people more in my camp, not that it's a competition, it's ridiculous, he'd win that one, but uh, um, I love barbell bent rows. Between barbell bent rows and, and pull-ups on a straight bar, I can't do anything better for my back. If, you just, if I could just do all that all the time, it would be damn near the only thing I needed. Um, I get this. He, I do one set of barbell bent rows, and I get the just enormous full back pump. Um, the, I can't feel anything. I can do cable rows till I'm blue in the face, and I can hardly feel shit. Uh, weight, reps, all that stuff is irrelevant. Uh, I do barbell bent rows, and everything blows up. So there is, you know, if I was to prescribe somebody barbell bent rows, then. Uh, they were to say, you know, I don't really feel these. If they were less than three years of training experience, I would say, go to hell, keep doing them. If they were three years plus, especially six years plus training experience, I would start to say, let's experiment with some exercises. Which ones do you feel? So, you know, cable rows really fuck me up. And, I, you know, I'd kind of be like, eh, really? Okay. I'd want to look at their barbell row technique. That's my first thing. But if they were, I knew they were using good technique, listen, you know, that exercise seems to hit the muscle better for you. Do it. We're not all built the same. Architecture is different, etc. <clears throat> so, I think there's a lot to say for that, for specificity, to make sure that you're doing what's best for you. Um, so that has to be mentioned. It's one of the reasons, like, uh, you know, in the uh, in the RP male physique training templates, it's all drop down menus, and you cho you choose your own exercises. And there's a long list for each one. It's like about five to ten exercises per muscle group. And there's also always an option. Uh, if you read the frequently asked questions, you can just do whatever movement that's not even on there that you know, but of that same body part. And I've gotten very few of these questions. Most people know, know very much what they're getting for the price, but they say, you know, listen, you know, what movements would you put in there, or what 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 lifts do you think I should put in? And my answer is, my God, you know, I I do not have that level of intellectual audacity to be able to tell you what you need. That's insane. You should know that 50 times better than I would. Uh, right. You know, what hits your legs the best? Some people love front squats. Some people love leg presses. Some people love hack squats. Some people love high bar squats. Some people get a quad pump from sumo squats. Some people can do low bar and their shoulders and elbows are fine. Some people can't. So it's one of the situations where if we go by the principles uh, of how to organize hypertrophy training from exercise selection standpoint, we start with specificity and right away we know we got to be specific uh, to train the muscles we want to grow. And these cookie cutter, more like oversimplified programs just won't do the trick. And, um, and, then it, and, and also it should be exercises that you feel work for you. Granted, if you're an intermediate or advanced individual, if you're a beginner, some guys will say, you know, I don't really feel this in my chest. Motherfucker, you don't have a chest yet. Shut up. You don't, I wouldn't feel anything either if I had, you know, a sheet of paper between my fucking ribs. So, um, and, and for a long time, like, I remember I used to do lat pulldowns and pull-ups and stuff back when I was a power lifter and I weighed, you know, like 20 kilos less. And I could never feel my back working. It took me years to be able to get a mind-muscle connection with my back. Mm -hmm. So if I searched for the muscle that the, – the exercise that would – you know, grow my back the most by, I would feel the most in my back. I would still be searching to this day. Uh, I stuck to bent rows and compound moves and eventually I learned how to feel them and then never stopped. So it's one of those situations when you're advanced or intermediate to advanced, you should start to really feel what works for you. Um, what do you think about all that, Steve? Uh, no, I think that's really important because I think you touched on some good points. And one, I think the listeners would be do really well to take away is the fact that there are no kind of special exercises that you have to do. Like at the moment, squat benching and deadlifting is very, very popular come from powerlifting and it's coming to bodybuilding now. And I mean, with good reason, they're good lifts, but it doesn't mean you have to always do them, always have them in your program. And it, it doesn't mean that you can't use the leg press. If you feel that more in your quads, you get a better pump for your quad. Um, it's important to have that in mind. And it actually reminded me of something from Mark Ripito, although Obviously, the, the squats and the go-mad um, kind of method was a bit of a Mark Ripito sort of uh, protocol. In his book, Practical, Practical Programming, he kind of talks about how novice to intermediate, like novices start with a few exercises to get to know. Intermediates then expand their pool of exercises, try lots of different things, see what works best. And then when you get advanced, that's when you think, right, this number of exercises, these three exercises for my quads, they're the ones that work. I'll kind of rotate through those. So I think it's important, all of those aspects. And um, 
yeah, the mind muscle connection one is a big one for, for a lot of people to understand that it takes time for that to actually happen. Um, it's going to take a while for you to realize yeah. whether you can use a muscle or not. I know when I first tried to do a front lat spread, it was something that I could just not do. I didn't understand how people could do that, do it, but you, you learn, um, and it comes over time. And then, yeah, like you said, just as you progress, that's where you select individual exercises that work best for you. Um, and that's the, the kind of the special snowflake individualization that can probably make a fair bit of difference, but only once you've got all of those, those basics covered. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, very, very good. Uh, very good addendum. I think, uh, um, it's, it's one of those things where, uh, you kind of start out having a little bit of faith uh, or belief rather, and then you end up becoming much more educated. It's, um, really tempting to get to feel like you're advanced by starting to rig up machines with bands and starting to say, well, I feel this exercise more than others. And, and some people that really do, they feel it early. Some people are just pretending and they want to fit in with a cool advanced, mm -hmm. advanced concepts crowd, which is, uh, you know, that's you don't, your membership of that crowd is just a matter of experience, not a matter of like, Oh, I want to do this cool stuff. So what you end up missing if you do too much of the cool stuff and uh, not the basics is the next concept. And by the way, as the way I'm working through this is specificity overload and fatigue management. We'll probably switch questions after that because it could get really uh, very complicated. Um, uh, that's what I would be doing in a future book that I will for sure be writing: Scientific Principles of Bodybuilding. I'm not sure it's going to be called that, but it's going to be it's going to be one hell of a book. It's going to be fucking forever long. It's going to be really good, but. Um, so, you know, so for overload principle, we got a couple of things to keep, keep in mind. The first fundamental one is the exercises should be the challenging ones, the usually compound free weight basics for reasons I am still not clear on, and there's anybody else that just work better than everything else. And we're not really sure why, but they do. I am interested in intellectual philosophical debate as to why they work better. I am not interested in debate that claims that they don't. Pretty much everyone who's ever been big got there by doing those and swears by them. Some of those people, now that they're advanced, now that they're beat up, they don't do them anymore as much. But um, some individuals will say, you know, you know, you don't really need to do the compound basics, but they're all small and their opinions are very highly relevant, but leaving something on the table and they're small by natural standards. <laughs> so it's not just, oh, but you're natty. Like, you natty and small. <laughs> bigger natty people, and they all squat, you know? So um, it's one of those situations where, for reasons yet to be determined, and I have some really good ideas that I'll, of course, be putting in the book, but um, uh, most programs, in my opinion, with especially with beginners and intermediates, should be based around compound free weight basics. Squats of various kinds. Uh, incline and vertical presses of various kinds, uh, rowing and pull-up derivatives of various kinds, upright rowing uh, or dumbbell lateral raise work, uh, barbell curling of some kind, dumbbell curls, uh, tricep extensions, skull crushers, overhead extensions, um, stiff-legged deadlifts for hamstrings, 45-degree uh, back raises, things like that, and uh, barbell lunges are an excellent tool, deadlift derivatives of various kinds, um, that's what's going to slap most of the meat on. Um, you can try to do mostly isolation moves, mostly machine moves. Probably not going to work out for you. Uh, good luck. It's uh, probably related to homeostatic disruption. I mean, these large compound free basics just fuck you up, and that's how you grow. It's overload principle writ large. Um, I, you know... Uh, isolation uh, machine work is really good for targeting muscles when you want to keep your fatigue intentionally low. We'll talk about that. In, we'll talk about that in fatigue management in just a sec, but uh, they won't form the cornerstone of your program. So I would say that if you're looking for exercise selection tips, a big tip I can give you at most levels of development is out with about two thirds to three quarters of your program of your lifts as compound freeway basics. Uh, fill in the rest with a combination of dumbbells and machines. Um, I think if you start to bias the equation all the way down to 50% compound free basics and 25% each dumbbells and machines, something like that, I think you're doing fine. 
I think if you start to go into the opposite, where it's 25% for UA basics and barbell basics, and it's mostly dumbbells and machines, that you should have a good reason for doing so. Some good reasons for doing so include the following. One, you're already gigantic and you're working on targeting very specific areas at the expense of growing everything else, which you don't want to grow because you're already too fucking big. Uh, another one is you're fucked up and you're injured. I no longer bench press with a flat barbell. You will not see YouTube videos of this from me in all probability because my chest is all kinds of fucked up. It still grows. It will still grow, but it requires a more ginger approach, an approach that unfortunately doesn't let me grow at my maximum rate. So when people say, oh, you know, how come you never bench? And, and they'll just straight up assume. By the way, this is a whole different Facebook post and rant and article series and video I could go into this. People just assume that everyone does everything that's optimal and they don't understand that people that are my size and bigger often carry the history of this pure violence of the sport to the body. <laughs> uh, and for me, although also combat sport. So I remember for a while I wasn't locking out any of my pressing. I was stopping just short of lockout. And a bunch of people would be like, why are you doing that? And I was like, because I got arm barred and fucking jujitsu and my elbow has been hurting for six fucking months. <laughs> I had to wear a brace on my elbow when I rolled. So, you know, when you see a, your favorite bodybuilder doing some kind of machine drop superset, you may be surprised when you talk to them that say, I'd rather be benching. But unfortunately, mm -hmm. my joints are all fucked up. And it's not because of benching. It's just because of hard training. If they never bench and just did machines, they would may very well be healthier, but they would be 40 kilos smaller. And then who cares? No, you would never hear their name. So, so it's one of those situations where um, the uh, compound barbell basics are just fucking overloading. And for a variety of other reasons, probably a really good way to cornerstone your program. So I would say big, really big advice is don't ever stray too far away from them unless you have a good reason to do so. And one of those is targeting of specific muscles, which most people who aren't jacked yet don't need. Uh, you don't need to bring up your lats. If you weigh 50 kilos, you need to bring up your fucking body. Um, and, um, uh, and the other one is if you're hurt, right. Or if you're managing some kind of chronic condition. So, uh, you know, outside of that, the very small reason could be like, you really just don't feel the barbell movements and you feel the whatever dumbbells machines better. That tends to be, I tend to be very skeptical of that. I think there's definitely a place. There are people for sure that uh, have that as a legit concern. Uh, Steve, I'm, I would like—I lo love your insight on this because I'm sure you've seen this with clients before. People say, you know, I don't really feel the bench press in my chest, and, and you just do this eye thing. Mm -hmm. Why? Let me see you bench, and they bench, and they bench all concave like this, and fucking like get away from the bar. And you're like, motherfucker, you don't even expose your chest. You teach them to arch and retract, and they're sore for like five days violently. And you're like, so feel that in your chest? They're like, oh my god. And you're like, so before you tell people, you don't feel an exercise. In whatever, I really like to see you do it. A lot of, and this is unfortunately very true for a lot of bodybuilders, they're even very good. They get away from squats. They say, I don't feel squats in my quads much. You know, it's all glutes for me and hips, and it just beats up my hips. You see them squat, and these motherfuckers are going down a quarter of the way down with 585. Yeah, no shit. But you teach someone, I have, one of my favorite things to do is to meet bodybuilders who are fairly advanced, fairly large. And, uh, you know, uh, eventually become, you know, buddies with them or something. And they do one of my leg workouts. I'm like, cause I say, you know, Oh, you know, like training legs, you want to train legs. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, you want to do what I do today? And I'm like, sure. I'm like, I got to let go something, something for you. <laughs> so what I do is I usually have them do, uh, one or the other, the order doesn't really matter particularly a lot is, um, high volume, super deep leg presses with feet close together, close, low, low on the platform for a super high range of motion. And then uh, either before or after high bar squats, weightlifting style all the way down. And the, the, these people become maimed for a week. And I, I don't mind, you know, one overreaching session beyond your MRV is not going to kill you or, or do any deleterious things. It's obviously the chronic stuff that's really bad. I intentionally push them past their single session MRV to teach them a lesson. Like <laughs> you have been bastardizing your leg training, uh, your bullshit machines that you've been using or you've been using them wrong too. And a lot of times you see guys, the way they say that all oh, the squats don't really work for me, and they'll, you'll see they say hack squats work better, they'll look at the hack squat videos, and they go all the way down on the hack squats, but they don't on the squats. And, well, I can tell you, motherfucker, why your hack squats are great, because 
full range of motion, full motor unit activation. It gives you twice the pump. It, it gives you much more time under tension. If that's a factor from a metabolite training, you do much more mechanical work. And also stretch under load is an independent factor for hypertrophy. I mean, you're hitting those gigantic checkbox. You're just not hitting the squats. So, and, you know, if, if pure weight is what grew muscles, we could just all do isometrics and never have to move anything around. You could push your wall at home and just get huge. So I was wondering if you had any insights, Steve, on uh, people who told you before that they don't feel certain exercises and, and, and you kind of put them to the test of, let me see, let me see how you do that. Yeah. I mean, a big one that I can, I see all the time is when people don't, and I think it's a really common one, not feeling exercises in their lats. And a lot of the time they're it's yes. similar to the, uh, to the bench. They're not kind of arching their upper back and pulling kind of through the elbow. They're kind of pulling all with their bicep. They just yeah. roll like this and it's a partial range. And I'm like, go like this. And then like that, hold for a second, and then stretch, and then hold, and they're like, ah, I'm like, what do yeah. you think back training is all about? Welcome. It's to, it, it happens all the time, and I think particularly with pulling exercises, so like hamstrings as well, people end up jerking it. They want to use more weight rather than get their technique right. Um, so like if people can't feel it in Romanian deadlifts or straight leg deadlifts, it's a big sign that they're not hinging. And they're absolutely just bending. Absolutely. And I see guys like I, you know, my one of my number one little little Mike is tell, like the eye the looks of looks of skepticism <laughs> is when a motherfucker's like, Yeah, I'm about to do stiff legged deadlifts. And you're like, okay. And they start like putting up the deficit plates to stand on. And I'm like, what you doing that for? And they're like, to get a stretch. I'm like, you used to compete in gymnastics? And they're like, No, I'm actually not that flexible. And I'm like, <laughs> Well, this is a disaster. So you know they're going to round their back. It, it, a hamstring attaches at two points. It crosses an entire the entire femur, more or less, right? So uh, that's you know the way you train that is you if you arch your back, lower back, you hip hinge, you will pull your hamstrings apart. I you know it's a funny story. I hadn't done this movement just in a couple of weeks, and I reintroduced it a couple of weeks ago. The uh, high bar good morning uh, with feet with toes on plates. And that kind of pre-stretches your hamstrings. I did like 90 kilos, 85 kilos for uh, two sets of 10. And, and, and in the second set of 10, I almost didn't do the set because like, you know, my electrolytes and water were all funky. Like I was, I'm getting geared up to do the show and it was all weird. And I was like, God damn, I'm going to like rip something because I was like excitation contraction coupling was off. Like I was having cramps in my hamstrings and I was like, what's going on? I ended up like feeling it out a little bit and then like just doing a kind of a one partial. And then I was like, okay, everything's good. And then I did a really slow full rep and then I was like, okay, nothing's tearing. So I kept, I did the second set of 10. I was sore for five days straight, um, properly hip hinging that two fucking sets of 10. I see guys with a hamstring routine. I see, I see people say, you know, I've done, I do, I do 20 sets of hamstring work in my hamstring workout. I'm just like 20 sets, motherfucker. How do you walk? And then I realized they're not doing uh, the exercises properly. So I think, I think uh, on a, a little bit of a tangent and we can probably wrap this up for now and, and get to this later. And in and, and at the hypertrophy seminar in London, we can beat the shit out of this oh, and yeah. many other, many other things. Uh, apparently I know a couple things about it. <laughs> I don't know. So um, the tangent is better than asking what exercises you should do. You should make sure your fundamentals of technique are good on all of them because I'll yeah. tell you what you give me a barbell upright row I prefer it but you give me dumbbells and I can do with them the, the more or less the same thing I can do it with a cable I can do it with a rope and so people say like you know lat pull downs are they better for you than pull ups or vice versa I'm like listen you know if you do the right kind of technique which I'll just describe for all exercises in just a second man you could fuck yourself up doing anything and I'll come back to the hamstrings thing in a sec as an example what's the right kind of technique full range of motion for that act so um, full range of motion and uh, making sure that you're getting a good stretch in the movements that you can, making sure that you're not jerking the weight around, making sure that you're using the muscles involved and you're not using momentum. When you are doing exercises, especially that are machine cable based and dumbbell based, making sure you really exaggerate and feel the stretch and the peak contraction, possibly holding both for a split second here and there, controlling the eccentric. Those features, all starting with the king of that set is range of motion. If you do that, I can't find an exercise in the gym that won't at least work really well. 
if you don't do that, most exercises don't do anything. And the advantage then switches to cables and machines because at least they don't get you hurt. Barbells do mm-hmm. and some heavy dumbbells do. So then some guys shy away from them. And if they were to fix those nuances on all of the m- movements, they're going to get fucked up. So like, for example, uh, I love squatting and I love deep high bar squats. They're the best exercise for my quads for sure. And I think for most other people's, but if you give me a Smith machine, I can fuck my shit up on it too. You give me a leg press with a decent range of motion. I can fuck my shit up on it as well. Um, and even a leg press without the best range of motion, um, I, with metabolite techniques and very high volumes and lots of sets and short breaks, I can still fuck my shit up plenty. Whereas individuals who rely on, you know, jerky partial ranges of motion, they can take a normal leg press, like selectorized stack leg press, put it at 300 or as hard as it goes and just be like, okay, this is bullshit. Cause like, it's not enough weight. It's enough weight for me, and I have legs fucking five times your size. You're obviously, using the machine wrong. So I think that using the apparatus correctly, there are no machines that are wrong. So, so for example, people say, "What's your favorite exercise for hamstrings?" And I say, "You know, bar none. If I had to pick one movement, it's the Romanian style stiff-legged deadlift." They're like, "Okay, what's your second? I'm like, "Good morning, high bar or low bar? Good morning variation." They're like, "What's your third? I'm like, "I don't know, like you know, 45 degree back raise." And then the leg curls. And they say, so what's wrong with leg curls? And I'm like, nothing. The exercise is just so amazing that in two or three sets of them, I can do what it takes me five or six sets to do. But you give me a lying leg curl machine that allows a full range of motion. You let me control the eccentric and squeeze at the top. And you give me like five to seven sets of that. I don't walk for a week. That machine is a goddamn hell's angel. And, And then the seated leg curl, just the same but using it properly. So one of the worst things that I see and conversely, one of the best pieces of advice I can give you do the right technique for God's sake. You give me the worst back machine in the world, some kind of weird cable pulley system that you can barely feel anything on with high repetitions, exaggerating the arch at the top and exaggerating the slump at the bottom for the stretch. I can get a great back pump. I can get a little bit sore. I can get a good workout. Now it'll take me seven, eight sets of that to do that. They have to be sets of like, you know, 10 reps to 20 reps with short breaks to get the metabolites going because nothing else will work. That's not enough mechanical damage. Otherwise, uh, can I do that with three or four sets of bent rows with sets of eight? Yes, I would prefer to, but I can still get it done. So it's one of those things where a perfect example is my fiance and I will go on cruises every now and again. And people say, oh, you're on a cruise. Like, it's a lot of food, but not a lot of training. And I'm like, a lot, a lot of training. I overreached on my last cruise. I was training so hard. And I actually did. I walked into the gym one day and I was like, Crystal, you're training by yourself. I will watch you train. I will help you. And I will not train today. I was at the end of a 10-week mass phase and I was done. I was just like, I was almost actually, I was almost overtrained. That's how far, that's how far gone I was. I was very, very overreached. My desire to train was basically like negative. Like, I just didn't want to be in the gym. Like, I hated the actual I can act of being I tried to warm up like Lynn. And for me, like I'm literally in love with the training process. Like I'm about to do a show and my most exciting thing about the show isn't the show. It's the next week of training after when I get to start massing again, fucking getting big pumps and shit. And I walked in the gym and I fucking, I didn't want to be there. I tried to warm up and I was like, Oh fuck this. So, uh, people say, you know, I can't train hard on a cruise. There's no barbells and shit. And I, there's dumbbells that go up to 80. You can do un- 80 pounds, right? Like 35 kilos. Yeah. You can do unspeakable things with 35 kilo dumbbells. And you don't even need those for most of the stuff. And there's a couple basic machines too with good full range of motion, exaggerating stretch and contraction, controlling the eccentric as far as exercise uh, ways of doing it. And of course, that's reps, et cetera. You could do crazy shit. So my big interest usually isn't in the exercise selection. Now, of course, there's much more to say about that, and I will either in later podcasts or at the lecture or books and articles, but my big interest is in doing exercises, all of them, properly. Um, when I scroll my Instagram, I'll like things because I think they're cool. I like things because I want to see more of them from that person, like super jacked guy that's really motivating to look at because he's super jacked. Even if he's doing some bullshit, I'll like fucking regrettably like it. I'm like, <laughs> I want to see more of you in my feed. Maybe you'll do something not stupid later. Um, but uh, when I like exercises for not those two reasons that people are doing on video, it doesn't matter if it's a machine or whatever. If they're using full range of motion and they look like they have mind-muscle connection and they're controlling the weight, I love that shit, man. I'll watch that shit all day. I'll watch 
50 kilogram naturals do great work all day long before I watch a fucking juiced up Mm -hmm. 140 kg monster doing some bullshit halfway crap. And that shit is just frustrating because I know he's not getting a lot out of it. He's beating up his joints. He doesn't know any better. So it's one of those situations where um, doing the exercise right to me is much more valuable than any exercise you could particularly pick. So is there a magic exercise? Not really. There are some better than others for most situations. The real magic is, is when you do shit properly. So, so, for example, if I see a video of a guy squatting and he's doing deep, high bar, high rep squats, I'm like, oh, my God, as many likes as possible on Instagram. I'm like, unlike, relike, unlike, relike the post. <laughs> but, uh, but if there's a guy doing some sissy, weird hack squat machine, but he's pausing at the bottom, pausing at the top, slowing down the eccentric, really letting his quads feel it and doing a super full range of motion with his heels down, I like the shit out of that because I'm like, you know I don't know about that machine, but I guarantee you that boy's going to be fucked up from that shit and it's going to grow. So, No, I think that's brilliant. I think I, th- people really need to remember that. And I always say it with my, I mean, I work online with people, but if, if they do say they don't feel a certain exercise or they have to do something, I've had people where they're like, <sighs> I have to put a plate underneath my feet to be able to have enough range of motion because I don't get a stretch on the exercise. That's when I'm like, I need a video because... Mm-hmm. I want to make sure you're doing this right. Um, and yeah, it's crazy. The the difference kind of just small tweaks. Like I went from, um, I was using flats, doing high bar squat. I have fairly good ankle mobility. And then I went to using my Olympic shoes, mm-hmm. narrowed the stance and got kind of a massive stretch of my quads. Oh my and that's God. the first time I've done that. And my quads are basically sore um, for about four or five days afterwards. And this is just... It's horrendous, but it's crazy. And those are the experiences that people need to realize that they're not doing stuff kind of necessarily right or just they can change something. Let me follow that up really quick with something very technical that I think your listeners will appreciate. Most of you are familiar enough with my work um, to know the following. Your systemic MRV is almost always going to be lower than your sum total of your body parts MRV, right? If you train everything as hard as possible, you'll run out of systemic MRV. One of the things that goes into systemic MRV other than just food, recovery, hormones, et cetera, is uh, axial loading, spinal loading, uh, and perception of effort from central and peripheral nervous systems. How fucking hard you're going versus how much effect you're getting out of the exercise and how much it's loading your spine. That has a whole lot to do with how much fatigue you accumulate for your systemic MRV. So one cool trick, Dr. Izzard tells one simple trick, to get as much of your uh, – peripheral MRV, individual body part MRV to fit into your systemic MRV is to make sure that the trade-off between systemic disruption and local disruption is the lowest, or rather local disruption versus systemic is the highest possible. How do we do that? So two cases. One, we put uh, 120 kilos on the squat for you, and we have you go wide stance halfway down, and we say it's a quad exercise. How many sets of that do you have to do to get your quads, uh, let's say, stimulated at MAV, maximum adaptive volume? Let's say it's 10 sets. There's no stretch. The quads are barely hit. A bunch of other muscles are hit. Your spine is all fucked up. And let's say we make an even worse adjustment. We don't feel it at all, so we have to go up to 160 kilos. And then now we're talking about crazy levels of fatigue. You can only do 10 sets fucks you up completely. But here's the deal. You switch to a close stance, weightlifting shoes, high bar position go all the way down. And now, Steve, now I'm glad you know this. You know what I'm talking about. When people are like, oh, I don't feel squats in my quads. What the fuck is wrong with you? That mm-hmm. at the bottom, especially if you already pumped at like set two and three of a high bar squat, your quads are literally coming apart. Like you can feel them pull apart. You're like, oh my God, this is it. That loads your spine less then the sumo weird half squat with 160 kilos. Now you're using 120 kilos. And four sets later, you're getting the same local muscle growth stimulus that you were from 10 sets at 160K and with all that fatigue. So now you've taken this, you filled up your peripheral MRV for your quads with only four sets and this much fatigue coming into your central equation. If you do all the exercises properly, just like that, you take this huge stack and you shorten it because of more effect and less transfer to systemic MRV. And that way you can just fucking grow more all over all the time. 
Because there's guys like, yeah, man, you know, when I do a proper leg workout, I can't train my back heavy for another three days after. And I'm like, fucking three days? I can understand like the next day. But what the fuck is your leg training like that your back is sore for like four days after? What's wrong with you? You watch them squat and you're like, well, fuck, I could have told you that. It's mostly a back exercise, right? So by making sure that you full range of motion, making sure that you're targeting the muscle that you want, uh, taking the compounds and making them kind of as isolation-y as possible in a sense, making sure other muscles are supporting it, but really, particularly letting the muscle uh, get activated, using it a lot, letting it stretch and having the other muscles help it versus having the other muscles do most of the work and have that muscle do barely anything, that allows you to get that much more work for that much less fatigue. And it, it, it's the, one of the best tricks, one of the best ways to boost, uh, to get more into your total MRV, to boost your um, uh, systemic MRV kind of by proxy or within the systemic fit more peripheral work into that um, to basically, to, to, be, to be technical about it, to lower your peripheral MEV, your minimum effective volume to so low that you hit your maximum adaptive volume at these tiny levels, which you would have to be up here if you were doing the exercises wrong. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one thing that people say, oh, I'm really beat up from training and you look at the training, you're like, I can't understand how the fuck you made it this far at all. And they, people ask me, they're like, you know, sometimes I do four week progressions without a deload and they're like, as strong as you are, how do you train for four weeks straight? You know, is it the drugs, et cetera? It's for sure the fucking drugs help. But at this strength level, you know, the guys that are my level, everyone's on drugs anyway. And they don't, they don't train that hard. Some of them. And they say, what is it? Well, I don't use as much weight as people seem to think for a guy my size. And they're like, Oh, you're just not that strong. Not actually very strong. Uh, waving my own flag over here. Like, you know, I've got some pretty decent lifts. Like I've overhead pressed 125 K for eight and stuff like that. I use full range of motion lifting and I let the muscles feel more of it. And the central factors feel less of it. When I do a bent over row, I've now switched back. My flexibility has been really good. And uh, my hips not hurting from jujitsu anymore. So I switched back to doing barbell rows off of the uh, 25 pound plates versus the 45 pound plates. That shit means I get to use only about a hundred kilos and get the same hypertrophic effect as it took me 150 kilos for the fucking other row. And can you imagine like this, uh, some motherfuckers uh, and YouTube and shit have been debating me. I don't really engage with them, but just say shit. Um, they're like, man, you know, you, you, your back grows more if you cheat and like, you know, if you cheat, like with rows, you get bigger traps. First of all, my traps are so fucking big, I can barely goddamn breathe at night. Second of all, what would I, you've seen my, this is me waving the flag again. I don't know why I'm being such an egotistical cocksucker, so apologies <laughs> in advance. Um, but I ain't shit in the grand scheme. I ain't shit. But, you know, I've done four sets of 10, and this is on Facebook. It's on video. Four sets of 10 with 315 pounds in a strict barbell barrel with no momentum from the floor all the way up to my tummy and back. Can you imagine what I would have to do if I was going to do cheat rows? 180K? I don't know. How much fatigue would I accumulate from that? Well, it would be the, the fatigue of a deadlift workout. But for but for high reps, it would be insane. It would be so stupid. You guys say, oh, man, you know, after bent rows, I can't really do much else. I'm like, I can. They're like, oh, I just, I, 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 that's it. That's all I can do. And it's just like, well, that's because you're fucking bent row wrong. You know, after deadlifts, I can't do anything either. But the, your bent row is actually a deadlift. So it's one of these things. That you clean up your technique. You really let the muscle feel it. You do a full range of motion. You make sure you're sitting into the exercises properly and using the muscles that you have to. Your total systemic fatigue won't suffer nearly as much. And people say like, oh, you know, how much do you curl? I'm like I curl like 40 kilos on average to grow with a barbell. And like 40 for sets of 10, I'm like, yeah. They're like, well, I can curl this and that. I'm like, how come my arms are 20 inches and yours are fucking not shit? Like, well, I don't know. I guess you just need more weight. Like, no, your back and stuff and your glutes and hips are getting a hell of a lot of workout from those curls you're doing. But your biceps don't get any more of a workout at all. Why not make sure that you're doing good techniques so that you can get the most local shit that you want or if it's a compound exercise the muscles that are involved versus everything else and get your fatigue all crazy what do you uh, what do you think about that yeah really good um and it, it just goes to show um when you see people doing kind of they could be doing horrendous amount of weight or they're doing horrendous amount of volume because they're just not doing the exercise correctly they're not actually hitting the muscles they're not getting them to be worked i think that's where a lot of the time people focus too much on load and too much on strength and they like this like everyone should be doing is leave your um what's it called <laughs> leave you your go. ego at the door mm -hmm. get into the gym and just lift with good sound technique and yeah. you'll feel it so much more and you'll get much more out of it and i i had an interesting sideline thought and i don't know if this is related but 
you see people who maybe they're doing good technique, but they're not getting as much out of that exercise anymore. Is it a case there and they're doing lots and lots of volume potentially just varying things? Is that a variation, a way of getting the same benefit? I know like if I go to a lunge that I haven't done in a long time or maybe just lunges in general and I go back to it, like I get very sore straight away. I get a lot out of movement, it feels like. Um, whereas if I kind of kept them in all the time, I'd have to end up lunging for, for, for ages. Um, is that a similar line of trail of thought? Or? I think so. I think that's uh, what we'd call uh, strategic variation in sports science is a very good idea in, in bodybuilding. A variation can be abused in both directions. If you alter exercises every other session, you never become neurologically proficient enough at them to really overload them much. And uh, the worst part is that you end up just um, cycling through different motor unit patterns and never giving a repeated stimulus and repeated overload progressive stimuli is the way your body remembers to keep muscle size. So it'll grow here, grow here, grow here, and then it'll everything will just go back down. So too much variation is a bad thing in that sense. But not enough variation is when you've developed quite a bit of exercise staleness. Your body will not continue to respond hypertrophically to the same exact movements for years. You have to vary something. It should be the load. It should be the rep range. But it should also be occasionally the exercise. And it can just be like different foot positions and stuff and different hand positions. It doesn't have to be night and day. And it should only be, I think, every one to three mesocycles. There's some debate among those of us who are evidence-based or whatever, that how often that should be. People like uh, you know Eric Helms or something mm -hmm. like that would say that maybe, maybe every three months cycles, every three three to six months would be a good way to alter exercises. I would be more of that the two to four month range. Some people say every month. I think everyone has. Uh, I think it's you no know, means clear who's correct, but you know we're all agreeing that it should happen. Uh, I think that people are like, yeah, you know, there's four exercises you should do them the rest of your life, but it's fucking completely insane. And I think people that are altering exercises every other session, unless you're super advanced, then there could be other technicalities for why you need to do that, uh, particularly fatigue management. Um, but, uh, you know, usually it's just you don't have a chance to progress through anything. So I, I think absolutely switching an exercise up every now and again is a very good idea. So there's my average recommendation for that for those people listening. Uh, for probably the average uh, demographic of the viewer of this podcast, um, I would say do the same exercise identically and load it progressively with deloads every now and again over about three to four months. Then you should, let's say you have two exercises per body part. Keep one of those, whichever one you like best or something, whichever one you feel the most for another three to four months. So keep that, take one of them out and replace with another one. So now you have these two exercises, one new, one old, you keep them for three or four months and you take the old one out after three or four months, you throw it away you still keep the one that used to be new that's now old, keep it, and then bump in another one, right? So it'd be like squat and hack squat for three, for four, let's say four months of squatting and hack squatting, undulated, progressive, et cetera, uh, different sets, different reps, uh, different phases. And then after at the four month mark, you take squats and you throw them out, you keep uh, uh, hack squats and you add in sumo squats. And then you do that for four months. You keep sumo squats, you throw out hack squats, you bring in leg presses and you keep that for three or months. And then you're doing uh, leg presses, you keep the leg presses, you throw out the sumo squats and then you reintroduce high bar squats again. And by the time you reintroduce them, it's been maybe a year since you've done them before, I they will fuck you up so goddamn bad. So when people ask me how many variants I use for like leg training or back training, I only use like four basic movements and two or three variations of each one. So I only know like six exercises for everybody. I, I know a bunch more. Mm -hmm. I only reuse like six because by the time I rotate back to another one, it's like I've never done it before, like face pulls. And I, I'm, I'm probably going to be face pulling sometime this summer. Steve, to be completely honest, I don't even remember the last time I did a face pull with a cable. I just literally don't remember. And then by the time I finished face pulling, uh, barbell upright rows I would not have done for like six months. And it's basically a new exercise at that point. And then people say, oh, you're going to get weaker on it. Yeah, but you reintegrate the neurological adaptations very quickly. And then you're on to bigger and more progressive overloads. Um, uh, cambered bar uh, rows, which is one of my favorite exercises for the back. I haven't done them in, I hadn't done them in like two years. And I was at a gym here in uh, the United States in Philadelphia, actually, Iron Sport Gym, very famous gym. That's where, uh, what's his name is from? Uh, he owns it. Uh, um, What's his name? Steve, uh, goddamn, Steve, Steve Pulcinella. And uh, uh, he's the do you even lift guy. Yeah, like I met him in real life. He's a really good guy. And uh, uh, it's trippy to like see him while you're lifting. You're like, oh, do I even lift? <laughs> right? <laughs> but he has a camber bar at his gym and I used it. And I actually 
hit an all-time PR on the camber bar on the first session I used it back. Why? Because my back was so much bigger and stronger. You can you imagine if I stayed at that gym? Unfortunately, it's too far of a drive for me to make regularly. Uh, but can you imagine if I stayed there for three mm. or four more months and kept milking out? I would hit like 20 kilo PR after that. And, uh, so it's one of those situations where you know people say, oh, you're just recycling back to the same weights and same exercises. You're unlearning them. Well, you're growing muscle that entire time. Right? And so yes, your recycling takes a little bit of adaptation, but during that adaptation, if you're not doing too much, you actually grow probably the most. So it's when you're adapting to it that you grow the most. When you become very neurologically efficient, it becomes a very good strength developing exercise. Yeah. But hypertrophy is probably most of it's gone by then. So within three or four months, definitely within eight, six to eight months because of the double rotation of movements, you've gotten a lot of that exercise. It's time to make things fresh. It's time to make things new. Absolutely. It's just we don't want to abuse that process. So for more advanced individuals, two to three month rotations. For really advanced, one month rotations maybe. Uh, for beginners, fuck, pick five, six exercises. Do them for the first year. No joke. There's people ask me, like, how do you grow? I'm like, buy the book Starting Strength. Instead of sets of five, do, do the do the fives do just as it's written for the first six months, and then after that, just do instead of fives, just do tens, and then come back to me in a year. And they usually come back like twenty kilos heavier. And like, <laughs> what do I do next? I'm like now you can start bodybuilding program. You know what I mean? Uh, but you know, people do the opposite. They'll look at what the, the best are doing. The best are, are 17, 18, 20 years into training career, mm-hmm. uh, and they'll say, "Oh, I need to do all these cable isolation bullshits." And yeah, those guys need to do that, but uh, you're not going to get a dick out of it. It's like trying to put. Um, you know, uh, top, top, top line F1 fuel into your, you know, Honda Civic. Like you can pour all the fuel in there you want. Motherfucker, you still got a Honda Civic. You need to, you need to work on the engine, work on the wheels. Mm-hmm, definitely. And I think, uh, I know we need to kind of cap it quite soon. And I think that's a good place to cap it. And we can always come back into this. Um, maybe it will spawn some new questions. But I think if people are going to take away anything, it's the fact that we start with that specificity and good technique and once you've got that along with the other principles of kind of hypertrophy training you're you're pretty much sorted you don't need to worry um you're getting good stimulus overall so yeah brilliant discussion i really enjoyed that mike yeah totally my pleasure and just just to finish off yeah mentioned that the compound heavy basics should be the, the cornerstone of all the programs or most programs. But, but again, if people like, you know, I, I'm, uh, people come up to me at various places that I go, I'm speaking and they'll say, you know, I really like this cable machine for my back. What do you think about it? I'm like, I think it's fucking great. I think it's great. I think you should use it. Uh, people, you know, expect me to be like, Oh, what the hell <laughs> that machine? No, there's other machines better. Like there are, there are no tricks like that. Uh, if you get a lot out of it, then you get a lot out of it. Um, so uh, it just, uh, but if you show me how you use the cable machine and that's all kinds of fucked up, I'm going to be like, all right, let me show you how to use this machine. And, and, and those rules apply to pretty much all machines. Awesome. Well, I want to say, yeah, again, thank you. And thank you for the listeners. I want to reiterate the fact that Mike is going to be in London on the 27th and the 28th, but all the, the tickets for the VIP um, gym session I've have sold out. So those unfortunate people who are going to have to be tortured uh, by Mike Isretel are, uh, yeah, definitely looking forward Say to that. Say goodbye to loved ones. <laughs> But the 27th, there's general sale tickets, so link in the description box below. If you found this interesting and you're in London or can get there on the 27th of May, definitely be there. So cheers, guys, and cheers, Mike. Take care, folks.